0: You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show.
1: Thank you, Scott. And yes, welcome to The Exchange, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Here's what is ahead. You might have heard it is Fed Decision Day. An hour from now, we're going to find out if the Fed goes three-fourths or a full percentage point higher. And maybe more importantly than that. What they expect to do in the future at the next meetings, try to keep fighting inflation. We will have every angle covered ahead of that decision. What it means for the economy, for housing, for stocks, for your money. Also, Vladimir Putin's latest threats. As President Biden speaks at the United Nations, we'll look at the impact that is having on the markets today. But let us begin with Dom Chu and your markets. An hour away, Dom, for the Fed. I know you didn't sleep last night, literally. You didn't sleep last I night. I
2: got like three hours in, I'll tell you That's
1: that. Much. Much. <laughs> anyway, much,
2: too much, much excitement much. about the Fed day today, and to your point, in an early shift on Worldwide Exchange, but. If you look at the markets overall, this is very much kind of like that wait and see, right? We're, we're seeing some fractional gains in the market. Generally speaking, though, positive. The Dow Industrial is up about 100 points, one-third of a percent gains there, 30,811. 3875 is the last trade for the S&P 500, up about 19,20 handles there, half of one percent gains. Similar percentage move for the Nasdaq Composite, up 50 points, 11,475. One place that's been a big focus here for many traders and investors, the bullish move that we've seen in areas of the defense sector. That spending from the biggest defense contractors out there may be getting a boost as we see some of those tensions right now with Russia and Ukraine. And of course, the comments from resident President Vladimir Putin about now mobilization of some of those Russian forces, the first time they've done that in some way since World War II. So keep an eye on those defense contractor stocks. And then if you want to check out one name that I can't show you right now, but that will eventually come on your screens at some point, it's got to be General Mills, a consumer staples company. The sector has been an outperformer so far this year. Brian, you and I know this, but what if I told you that General Mills stock is up like 7% today after an earnings beat? Revenues come in line with expectations, but it raises its full-year forecast because it actually was able to raise prices, pass some of those along to the consumer, and consumers were still willing to pay it. It raises its forecast, cites strong demand for everything from cereal to pet foods and everything else. But watch General Mills shares, and Brian, up 7%. This is also a one-year chart. If you look at a three-year chart, it's even more impressive. And I, for the first time in a while, am going to do something I haven't done, put a big gold star next to this, because this, in fact, represents a record
1: high in this market for General Mills. Back over to you. You know... I guess everybody is always after their lucky charms. And Cheerios and blue buffalo dog food. And I, yeah, and a bunch of yogurt. <laughs> Who doesn't like yogurt? Dom, thank you. you wow, got gold star from Professor Chu. All right, now to the big number of the day, 4%. That is the yield on the two-year Treasury note, crossing that key number for the first time since all the way back in 2007. Why do we care? Let's go to Rick Santelli at the CME. What does this move in the two-year, tell us, and what does it mean? I know we know 10 years are for mortgages. Why does the two-year matter?
3: Well, you have to remember, the 10-year is definitely a market-driven rate, as is the two-year, but a whole lot less market-driven. There's a lot of central bank manipulation that's been going into interest rates since well before the 2000, 2007, 2008 credit crisis. So the two-year, three-year note short maturities are tracking the Federal Reserve's ultimate overnight rate. And Fed Fund futures and two-year note yields somewhat jive because Fed Fund futures are giving you a terminal rate of around 4.5%. Obviously, we crossed over 4% today in the two-year. Now, I'm on the SIBO floor. Home of the VIX, and the VIX has given us a great lead-in to today's Fed meeting. If you look at a 24-hour VIX, it was down a bit. It's getting much closer to unchanged, but I would consider down a bit important on today. And if you look at a two-week chart, you know, it was the 13th of September, Sully. We had that CPI number. You could just see it right in that chart. Boom! It popped up rather dramatically. And if you go from the intraday to a daily chart, you could really see how CPI changed the whole tone of the volatile volatility and what is referred to as the fear gauge, which is really option volatility. Now, if you open the chart up to the last Fed meeting, which was July 26th and 27th, you can see that right after the meeting, we tapered off. We almost went flatline for a while, and then, boom, we started moving back up. And if you look at the extremes of mid-June, which, by the way, 10-year note yields just two days ago finally closed above that 3.48 June 14th high yield close. Well, all of this chart correlates to those mid-June highs. Whether it was boons, gilts, all sovereign peaked right in mid-June, and you could see it on the charts. What is it going to look like after 2 o'clock Eastern today? That's what these traders are all betting on, Sully. Back to you.
1: Yeah, very quickly, though, I'm old enough, Rick, to remember one year ago. You remember one year ago, I was looking at the Fed dot plots the summary of economic projections at this meeting a year ago, not one Fed member saw rates, the Fed funds rate, above 0.75 percent by the end of this year. I mean, with all due respect to the Fed, they whiffed it, man. They were completely wrong.
3: On what? Well, at least it's, it's the not current about respect. It's about making money, Sully. It's about making money. So, what's the lesson that you learned from one year ago? That the Fed and all central banks are trying hard, but they really have no idea where markets, inflation, or rates are going to be one year from now. They do their best on the lead into it, but I think that's a great point you just made.
1: I'm not saying I could do any better, not dunking on them. I'm just saying, let's be clear, sometimes projections are not even close to being reality. Thank you, Rick. All right, so we are less than an hour away for the decision on rates. The Fed widely expected to hike rates by 75 basis points, aka three-fourths of one percent, for the third consecutive meeting. Is the Fed being too aggressive, not aggressive enough, and what does it mean for the markets going forward? Joining us now are Stephen Whiting, Chief Investment Strategist at Citi Global Health Management, and Subhadra Rajapa, Head of U.S. Rate Strategy at Societe Generale. Stephen, I'll start with you. I'm not dunking on the Fed, okay? They're much smarter than I am. I could never do their job. It's hard. A lot of variables. Great
4: observation just made.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm just pointing out that what they said was going to be happening right now, one year ago, couldn't have been more off. But that's
4: exactly it. Again, what we will be thinking about the economy at this time next year is going to be very different. Where we were a year ago, exactly right. Where the Fed was in 2019, expecting to go further, expecting QT to continue. You know, all of these things. We just... Have to realize that if you go in 75 basis point increments you're delivering as they will today the equivalent of a full year of monetary tightening in the space of four months if you simply over medicate the patient and don't wait for the the uh, notion of how long it takes for this dose to get through to the economy you know you are at risk uh, of creating more damage than you intend and it's in next year's economy next year's inflation rate that we'll see that we can definitely give you some points and show uh, exactly what is happening yep. on a forward-looking basis that is not obvious today.
1: So Subhadra, I'm going to trust you, I think, more than the Federal Reserve on rates. Where do you see interest rates one year from now?
5: That's, of course, a very hard question to answer, given how, as you pointed out just a year ago, two-year yields were around 20 basis points last year this time. So we're looking at just a precipitous rise in, in yields. But I think I agree with the premise that that, that uh, Steve was uh, laying out earlier, which is that I think that the Fed is definitely keen on front-loading rate hikes, getting rates to perhaps you know 4% by the end of the year, maybe peak for Fed funds rate at 4.5%. But broadly speaking, I think that, as we all know, policy works with long and variable lags. So they're eager to get rates out to to four percent and beyond but they're going to really need to see the imp- the impact broadly speaking of, of higher policy rates and you're already starting to see that somewhat in employment is is strong but then you're starting to hear of uh, headlines of, of people uh, laying off workers you're also seeing that on uh, on other metrics uh, on the earnings I'm sorry on the um, on uh, on uh, forward guidance from uh, you know the FedExes of the world so there's still you know there's definitely some slowing down uh, in some of the metrics, but again, it's too early. The, the economy is still pretty strong. The trajectory for, for rates is, is probably higher over the near term.
1: Hey, would you agree with that, Stephen? Probably higher?
4: I, I think it is. It's the way they've operated. Uh, again, probably moving up rapidly will mean that we will not sustain as higher rates as we would get if they were going gradually, if they were allowing the economy to adjust to it. You know, Whether that's good news or bad news for you, that's to consider. But I just give a concrete example for everyone. Uh, We have had uh, the monthly pace of new home sales from the end of 2020 to now. It's fallen 51%. You know, what are construction outlays? What are housing completions? Minus 2%. Why? Uh, Because it takes six to 12 months to plan and build a house. Uh, The construction pace is based on where interest rates were, what the sales pace was when it was higher and rates lower. Construction employment is at an all-time high trying to complete these houses. We're going to see very large, probably double-digit drops in construction-related employment in the coming year. Uh, and it's pretty obvious, and this is going to spread uh, more broadly to the economy. It's just the easier example of interest rate sensitivity. So in the coming year, when employment falls, uh, the Fed will react to it then, uh, And they have, and they have even yeah. back in the days of poll workers.
1: I just wonder, Subhadra, if they're if they're reacting too aggressively or not aggressively enough, because they increased money supply by 40 percent in the last two years. They dropped rates to basically zero in their defense. Again, we didn't know what was going to happen with covid and the economies, but pretty much everybody by the middle of last year realized that a lot of parts of the economy were stronger. You know, consumer spending, everyone's buying a car, everyone's fixing up their house. How in your mind, if the Fed made a mistake, what would what would be the mistake that they made?
5: Well, the mistake is that they kept purchasing at assets well into the middle of next of this year. And they and they were a little bit late, I would say, on starting to hike rates because there were very clear signs, I would say, as early as August of of last year, that inflation was going to run a lot harder than what they had penciled in. But they, it it took them a while to sort of shift away from their transitory narrative uh, and sort of you know sort of you know switch to a much more hawkish tone. And now that they are, they're really starting to catch up and ramp up the pace of, of rate hikes. Mm. Uh, and now we have to wait to see what the impact of higher policy. is on the broader economy.
1: And I think we found out that the word transitory should probably be removed from the lexicon going forward. Stephen Whiting, Subhagra thank you both very much. I know you got the Fed meeting. We'll let you actually do your job. All right, meantime, this is a huge story, folks. I know we're talking a lot about the Fed, but Russian President Vladimir Putin is doubling down on the war in Ukraine, announcing that he is mobilizing hundreds of thousands more troops in an effort to gain more ground as the conflict enters its seventh straight month. Here's what President Biden had to say earlier today in his United Nations speech.
6: Calling, calling up more soldiers to join the fight. And the
1: Kremlin is organizing a sham referenda to try to annex
6: parts of Ukraine, an extremely (laughs) significant violation of the UN charter. This world should see these outrageous
1: acts for what they are. This war is about extinguishing Ukraine's right to exist as a state, plain and simple. Scary stuff. It also has big implications for the energy market as the world grapples with supply shortages for crude oil and natural gas, all amid the Russian oil embargo. Matters a lot for food, too, by the way. For more on what this all means, welcome in CBC contributor Hilly McCroft, managing director, global head of commodity strategy at RBC Capital, also joined by Admiral James Stavridis, former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Admiral Stavridis, I'm gonna start with you. Uh, And I know you're not a markets guy, but I am shocked a little bit at the lack of reaction by the global and United States stock markets when I hear Putin say, fight to the death and imply the possibility of a nuclear attack.
7: I think you've got to take that very seriously. Um, Now, let's put it in perspective, however. Um, I think it's unlikely that Putin would actually reach for that nuclear weapon. He realizes that doing so, even a tactical nuclear weapon, would simply drive away the enormous tranche of swing votes, if you will, in the global south, Uh, nations he wants to keep at least neutral, Nigeria, South Africa, Brazil, India, all of them would depart. The Vladimir Putin pattern if he used a nuclear weapon. So I'm more focused on the mobilization of 300,000 troops. I think that's a very significant step. Um, It smacks of desperation. It'll be a very hard lift to get all of them into fighting form. But uh, we ought to take very seriously what we're hearing from Putin.
1: Yeah. And it's it's tough, Halima, because you, you know the Russian troops are getting decimated. They're being run off. Many apparently are retreating. They're surrendering, it's Putin's humiliation, but isn't that where the danger zone is?
0: I mean, I think that's exactly the concern is that a cornered Putin is a very dangerous Putin and we should prepare for potentially very destabilizing escalatory moves from this regime. And you pointed out the market is not reacting to this. I think they're more concerned about Powell than Putin at the moment. But I think we should really brace for further economic weaponization. And he's already turned off the taps on natural gas. The question is, does he potentially start, you know, pulling back on oil supplies into Europe in advance of this December fifth sanction start date. So I think that there are many more cards that Putin can play, and I'm not sure he's done by any means on the economic front. But
1: Halima, back to you, how long can he hold out? Natural gas is not a huge deal for Russia, we know that. Oil is, it's a petrodollar state. Putin does not hold all the cards here with energy.
0: Well, when we think about oil, I would say yes, it is the main revenue earner, but there's a volume price dynamic. It's not like Vladimir Putin, I think, would go to zero. But he's already facing the prospect of being locked out of Europe by December 5th. All he needs to do is start pulling back early, essentially saying to Europe, you're going to cut me off on December 5th. I'm going to cut you off now. And so, again, I think we should prepare for a potential reduction in Russian oil volumes. That does not mean he goes to zero, but he certainly can raise the stakes in this economic game of brinkmanship.
1: Admiral Stavridis, I guess the most depressing part about this from a global perspective, obviously been incredibly difficult and depressing for Ukrainians. And by the way, many poor Russian soldiers, farm kids, many from the eastern, more Asian side. It almost feels like genocide by Putin at this point, sending these hapless kids to be slaughtered in Ukraine. They don't want to be there. And you wonder if this this is going to happen with the 300,000 they want to call up. No one's talking about any kind of an exit ramp at all. I mean, how do we get... How do we resolve this without just dragging on for three or four years?
7: Well, I'll give you a short three-word answer, which is, I don't know. Nobody knows, but I'll give you a a base case of what could happen here. If you think of this in private equity terms, here are two companies that both have burn rates that are very high. Putin's burn rate is people. That's why he's mobilizing 300,000 in equipment. On the other side, Zelensky's burn rate is the patience yeah. and the willingness of the West to finance this. Those are two high burn rates. Sully, I think in six to eight months, both sides are going to feel the need to come to some kind of negotiation. Boy, let's hope so.
1: Halima, the, the, the full sanctions are supposed to kick in December 5th. <laughs> are you, is it still 100 percent chance or is there a chance... Europe tries to throw by the Putin, and by the way, themselves an olive branch, delay the sanctions just to give a little wiggle room.
0: I mean, this is a key question to watch. When you talk to U.S. officials of the Treasury Department, when you talk to European leaders, they continue to insist that December 5th sanctions are locked and loaded. And so you're not just going to get an embargo, but the ban on providing services to move those cargoes to third countries. Hence why everyone is working on this price cap plan to provide some type of release valve that would potentially allow those barrels to move to Asia at a discount. If that price cap plan doesn't launch and the December 5th yeah. sanctions come into force. That's a major multi-million barrel Russian supply disruption. So it's an incredibly important story.
1: Scary stuff, but we're glad you're on it. Uh, Halima Croft, Admiral James Davrides, thank you both. All right, on deck. Home builders are higher on some new housing data. It's actually good news for you if you're a buyer. We're going to break down the numbers and what today's Fed decision means for your mortgage and your money. And if you're looking for some ways to put money to work in a rising rate environment, our trader has a couple of names, including this mega cap name that just hit a new 52-week low. Big buying opportunity? We'll talk about it. Less than 42 minutes to the Fed decision on rates. We know they're going to raise high, raise rates. How high are they going to go? Well, you've got to stay tuned to find out.
8: This is the exchange on CNBC. All
1: right, finally a little good news for home buyers as prices are beginning to fall. but how low could they go? and what impact could today's Fed decision have on the market? Diana Olick knows she's got the numbers, Diana
9: hey brian yeah home prices are still higher than they were a year ago which is how we usually compare them because home buying is super seasonal families buy bigger more expensive houses in the spring and early summer then smaller homes sell in the fall skewing prices lower this year though mortgage rates shot up in june crushing affordability so prices aren't following the usual patterns The median price in August was $389,500. That was an increase of 7.7% from August of last year. But if you look at prices from June to August, they're down 6%. Prices usually fall during this time, but historically, they only fall about 2%. So we're now seeing three times the usual price drop. Still, potential buyers at an open house in Phoenix last weekend said, while prices may be a little bit better, they're not falling enough yet to make up for these sharply higher interest rates.
3: One of the challenges for us is that we currently have an interest rate of 2.875%. And so the idea of getting a a bigger house and more than doubling our, our current interest rates is not particularly appealing.
9: And you can see it in the mortgage applications to buy a home. Last week, they were down 30% compared with the same week a year ago, suggesting that home sales will continue to drop. They've now fallen for seven straight months. Brian.
1: All right. Dana, look, thank you very much. All right. Well, slipping home sales are signaling a slowdown. She sells seashells by the seashore in the housing market as potential buyers balk at rising rates. 30-year fixed rate mortgage hovering near 6.5%. That is up from just 3% at the beginning of the year. Let me repeat that. Mortgage rates have doubled in nine months. And in just 40 minutes, the Fed is poised to announce another rate hike. Some, like Scott Minard, who we talked to earlier this week, have argued that rising rates are far more important to the housing market than the stock market. Let's ask George Rattu. He is senior economist at Realtor.com. And the, the point we made, George, welcome, was that yeah, we're a we're stock market channel. I got it. But the housing market is a lot bigger and a lot more important to the American economy than the stock market is. And things are, are nervous right now.
6: You're absolutely right, Ryan. In fact, what we're seeing is a housing market skating on a knife's edge, trying to determine where the economy, more importantly, is going. To your earlier point and Diana's point, rates are up over 300 basis points. What that really means for today's buyer of a medium-priced home, their monthly mortgage payment is 66% higher than it was a year ago. You put that in in perspective with prices up 14%, at least listing prices on realtor.com, rents up 12%, inflation up 8.3%. That interest rate impact on mortgage payments, and most Americans buy their homes with a loan, uh, really is tremendous. So in a sense, it's not surprising that we're seeing this sharp pullback in demand. Furthermore, what's really challenging, while homeowners brought more homes to market this summer, we saw that May, June period, a lot of homeowners try to capitalize on record high prices and ready to move on you know, beyond the pandemic. A lot of them seem to have in, incorporated this fear they must have missed the peak because over the last two months on Realtor.com data, we've been seeing new listings pull back. Obviously, price cuts, I think, are having also uh, an, an important uh, you know component in the market. 20% on listings uh, on, on Realtor.com are seeing price reductions. It's, it's a level we haven't seen since 2017 when the market was a more, uh, was a lot more balanced. So clearly we are in a transition period towards a more balanced market. The question is, with the Fed expected to make at least a 75 basis point uh, hike uh, today and yeah. announce it, are we going to see rates move even higher? We're already in some rates of six and a half. Are we moving past 7%? I think in the short term, yes. Upward pressure is absolutely there for mortgage We're mm-hmm. going to
1: hit, we're, we're, you said it, not me, 7% is very likely. I'm going to butcher the number because I'm just kind of pulling it out of thin air, but I, I remember it being directionally correct, so please correct me if I'm wrong, George, that every home sold puts something like $50,000 into the economy, whether it's the real estate agent's commission, the buyer buying a new couch, painting the home, paying a, the plumber, whatever it might be. So if we see a downturn in transaction volume, it's got to make a hit on the broader economy.
6: It absolutely does, Brian. And in fact, that's the real concern as we look forward. We are seeing the economic impact at the local level. You're right. The multiplier effect from a home purchase is significant. And the sharp pullback in housing so far this year is absolutely being felt. Real estate agents, and insurers... Mortgage lenders, they've already been laying people off. So my my big concern is the broader uh, corporate landscape might react to this monetary tightening a lot more, and we might see an increase in layoffs, which could actually put, uh, obviously, consumers even more under pressure. Their budgets are already being squeezed from multiple directions. So the threat of layoffs is enough to potentially pull back on spending, especially as we head towards the Tail end of this year and the traditional holiday retail season, which is so critical for many, many retail companies. George
1: Ratu Realtor.com senior economist, a very interesting and important time in maybe America's most important market, real estate. George, thank you. All right, coming up, the heads of the seven biggest banks are on Capitol Hill. They're getting grilled, but they're also talking about inflation, the state of the consumer, and the threat of a recession. We're going to bring you the key headlines look at whether they could face stricter regulation from Congress. That's next. Markets up a little bit. Fed meeting, 33 minutes. We're back right after this. Called the data bank. Let's get now to the Fed numbers here because the Fed numbers, the market numbers, because there is you might have heard about this Federal Reserve meeting in 30 minutes. I saw Tyler Matheson over there doing push-ups, getting ready for this Fed meeting. It's a big one. Ahead of it, the Dow Industrial Average is up 100 points, NASDAQ up four-tenths of one percent. Let's check some of the sectors ahead of that meeting. Staples, the sector, not the store. Industrials and utilities are leading the way. Communication services, of which Facebook slash meta is the biggest and most terrible performer is on the downside. All right, travel and leisure are among the worst performers in the S&P 500. Las Vegas Sands, Royal Caribbean, Marriott, Expedia, and Hilton down more than 3%. And the NASDAQ, the Chinese internet names are getting hit the hardest. Names like Pinduoduo, NetEase, JD.com, Baidu among the biggest laggards. Oh, look at 5.17%. Paul Amon, 5.17%. That's something for Paul. There you go. He's one of our producers. We're also down about 4% on most of the other names as well. Now, He's done with the push-ups to the aforementioned Tyler Matheson for a CNBC News Update.
8: I'm going to go into a meditative state before the uh, 2 p.m. show. Let's give you the news update. New York Attorney General Letitia James is suing Donald Trump, if you hadn't heard, his company and three of his children, for fraud. She seeks $250 million in fines and bans on Trump and his children from running companies in New York.
0: The complaint demonstrates that Donald Trump falsely inflated his net worth by billions of dollars to unjustly enrich himself and to cheat the system, thereby cheating
6: all of us.
8: A spokesman for the Trump Organization slams the New York suit as politically motivated and that it, quote, has nothing to do with the facts. Former President Trump making his own response on his Truth social media platform. He calls the suit another witch hunt and says James should be focusing on crime and murder rates in New York City. On the news with Shepard Smith tonight, Putin's latest escalation of the war in Ukraine and how Western allies are likely to ramp up their response. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. Brian, back to you.
1: All right, Tyler, thank you very much. All right, still ahead. The countdown to the Fed continues. A three-fourths of 1% rate hike is widely expected, but you never know. Could get a half, could get a full percent, could get more. But either way, we're going to look at three ways to play rising rates. That is next. And all throughout Hispanic Heritage Month, we are celebrating some more our CNBC teammates and contributors. Here's my friend, former CEO of Diane von Furstenberg, Sandra Campos.
0: As a Latina, it's very important to me to be proud of my heritage and be proud of who I am. We are uniquely strong and we need to be proud of that and showcase our strengths in the workplace and at home. From my own upbringing, having to work in my father's portilleria and learning how to understand about logistics and warehouse and production, I certainly have taken that and apply a lot of those lessons learned throughout my own career.
1: All right. Welcome back. And by the way, thanks to everybody across America watching, listening, maybe having a sausage boat in, I don't know, Iron Mountain, Michigan right now. Thanks for watching. All right. We are less than a half an hour from the Federal Reserve decision. You might have heard about that. They are widely expected to raise rates and probably indicate they're going to raise rates again, which all begs the question. What does that mean? What do I do? Delano Sapporo knows he is New Street Advisor, CEO and a CNBC contributor. I mean, I'm not going to ask you how old you are, Delano, but it's been a long time. <laughs> since we have been in a rising-rate environment. I mean, there's a lot of people on Wall Street that have never invested, managed money, or worked in a rising-rate mm-hmm. environment. I mean, you got to be, like, my age. To, and even I was, like, four years old, kind of, when that happened. What's your best advice right now?
10: Best advice, uh, Brian. First, I want to know how many push-ups did Tyler do? Because I'm actually worried that I would not be able to beat him in a competition. Like the Fed, but, uh, he did .75 push-ups. <laughs> all right, hopefully I could beat him there. So I think there's a lot of things that, you know, one, younger investors, everyone is looking to do in this range. We talked about last week, people calling about different things. Now clients are calling asking, when will equities ramp up again? And they're looking forward to maybe, you know, I've always pointed to 2023 mid-year. I know some people think we'll have a ramp up at the end of this year. But I think a lot of it is actually on the Fed's decisions that we're obviously going to see, but more on the rate projections. And if that dot plot is looking towards the 2 to 3% action 2023. So there's a few ways for us to play it and we can go through them. Of course, you know, you can look at you know the growth in large cap names that have been beaten down over the course of this year such and pick up some that you think. Yes, as such as Microsoft. Um, I've, we've always talked about Microsoft and Apple. As, as a, obviously everyone, a lot of people hold those in indexes, and, and everyone has a lot of people have some peer play in them. And then look at the banks; they they seem to perform well, obviously in the raising rate environment. Um, and, and you can look at other areas too. Dividend players, utilities, if you look over the past six months, obviously energy's performed the best, utilities and healthcare not far behind, and consumer staples, which you were talking about just uh, a little bit ago. So those are a couple of the first two areas that you want to look at for investors. And then, of course, those that don't want to stomach some volatility. We've been bouncing around the range in the S&P for a little bit. Um, They could be in the cash. They could be in bonds, which have attractive yields currently. But there are three ways, Brian, for, for people to play it right now
1: timelines got to be a huge part of this, do they not? I mean, if I'm investing for next year, I don't know, I might want to be mostly cash. If I'm investing for my kids or 20 years from now, it's a totally different story.
10: 100%. And timeline is a big thing. I always, you know, point to longer, but it, there are people that and I have short-term portfolios where I'm using more short-term moves. And if you look at what we've done, the mid-June low, um, and we usually kind of bounce after the Fed decision. There's a pullback and in the commentary. You'll see, you know, potentially a little bit bounce today. So you have to play your timeline. For the shorter-term investors, you're probably going to bounce around that range and, and have resistance around 3,700. But, you know, in the long term, for, for people that are investing for the long term, whether it's for their kids or for themselves. There is going to be volatility, but it could clear up in six to eight months when we have more clarity on inflation potentially rolling over and maybe Fed changing course. Yeah,
1: but, bit. you know, and we're talking about the Fed all day, and I get it, Delano, but you might have hopefully caught the top of the show. I mean, Vladimir Putin is talking about, mm-hmm. like, tripling the number of soldiers in Ukraine. He's talking about nuclear war. He's talking about fighting to the death. I don't, I mean, hopefully somebody's just going to take him out, if you know what I mean. But I, I'm just worried <laughs> about the world right now. And so, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's not, the Fed is one thing, a ground war in Europe, maybe a whole different thing.
10: 100%. And, and, you know, for us, for investors, last two, three years, you've had a, a litany of things. We had, um, obviously, supply chain issues. We have geopolitical issues. Um, so we've seen the gambit. And I think, you know, what you have to point to is, is we hopefully, Stronger management with strong execution has been able has been able to see these things and make adjustments, right? Similar to you know a playing football, halftime adjustments, and they're actually able to get through these things. I think you've seen the worst of this, even if things are wrapping up. Hopefully, we've seen the worst, uh, and we're able to get through it. So execution yeah. is important, cash flow is important for a lot of these companies, and and you'd want to be in those those companies.
1: Microsoft, Goldman Sachs. My guess is those two companies will be here in five years. Just wild yes. speculation on my part. That's a pretty good guess. Delano, pretty good guess. Thank you. Let's get back to the push-ups. All right, come up. Still ahead. We are just about 20 minutes away now from the Fed rate. Guide. Will it be three-fourths of a point? Will it be a full point? Maybe they just, maybe they'll cut rates. But one economist says it is way too early for any kind of pivot dovish. I just want to show you shares of DXC Technologies. They were briefly halted. They have just resumed trading. They are moving higher. Reports the company said to be tapping advisors after some takeover interest. DXC Technologies? up five and a half percent markets are up and we're back right after this because time marches on we're now less than 20 minutes from the fed rate decision and while 75 basis point hike is basically baked in at this point are also keenly watching economic projections for the next few quarters so-called dot plots although not an official forecast it does give us a peek into the Fed's mentality and the potential of future rate hikes. Joining us down to discuss is Annetta Markowska, chief financial economist at Jeffries. Annetta, uh, I was talking at the top of the show. I don't know if you caught it, and I was looking at the dot plots from September 21, last one year ago. Man, they were wildly off where we are now. Not one Fed member saw rates above .75 at this point last year. So how much faith do we have in... The fed forecast this time around
11: Yeah, hey, that's a good point and and that's it's sort of why i made a point that i don't see uh much value in the scp certainly beyond next year uh, but i sort of see the scp as the floor the minimum right uh level of rates uh with risks probably skewed to the upside um, so I, I expect the median dot for next year to basically move in line with the market uh, come in about uh, 440, which is what was implied by the forward curve late last week. Um, and and I would say the risks uh, are still that they'll have to continue to revise them higher.
1: How much higher could they go before the economy buckles, which I think is what they want to a point? I mean, it's the only way you're going to bring down inflation is by slowing down demand, right?
11: Absolutely. And the problem for the Fed is not just that inflation surprised on the upside in August, but when you look at the leading indicators of inflation right what do we need to see to have some confidence that inflation is on the right track We need to see some softening in a labor market which we really haven't seen Uh initial jobless claims last week on non-seasonally adjusted basis hit the lowest level since nineteen sixty nine right so then you look at the leading indicators of, of employment job openings Uh, they haven't even begun to roll over they actually ticked up in July as soon as energy prices came down Uh, And then you look at the leading indicator of labor demand and job openings, which to me is profit margins, and they have not even begun to roll over. So there's really nothing to point to at this point uh, that suggests that inflation is, is, is on the right track. So that's why I think that risks are still skewed to the upside for rates. And until we see evidence that margins are starting to compress, that job openings are coming down, um, it, it's really going to be hard for the Fed to pause.
10: I
1: just wonder how much the statement's going to change. You know, everybody goes through the, the old statement, the new statement. You cross out the old words, add the new words. What are you look what's key to the language from the Fed?
11: So the last statement started with a pretty downbeat sentence, which said employment and production have softened. I think they have to upgrade that because the fact is that since the last statement, things have actually gotten better. Growth momentum has picked up. Uh, even sentiment has picked up um, and, and I think GDP is on track to accelerate pretty meaningfully in the third quarter. So I think they have to acknowledge that actually activity is improving, uh, sort, sort of moving in the ro- wrong direction. I think the inflation language will be interesting. There's a good chance that they take out the reference to energy prices, uh, pressuring inflation higher. Um, and I actually think that they might acknowledge that inflation now is largely demand driven as opposed to supply chain driven. You know, I think that if you look at the uh, latest round of CPI data, we actually saw an acceleration in core goods inflation. So I think that puts in question this assumption that a lot of economists have been making that supply chain pressures are easing and inflation is going to ease. Retailers are still raising prices aggressively simply because they can, because consumer demand is too strong.
1: Aneta Markowska, really appreciate your views. We'll let you get ready. If you see that Rich Handler guy walking around, you know, just tell him to get to work. Thank you, Aneta.
11: Thanks for
1: having me. All right, still ahead, Diamond, Frazier, and Moynihan. Oh, my, the CEOs in the street's biggest banks starting their first day of capital testimony. We'll have the headlines coming up. We're going to take a look at these markets, some key moving stocks, financials, they're mixed. The overall market's a little bit higher. Fed, 13 minutes away. Stick around. back. The CEOs of seven major banks testifying in front of the House Financial Services Committee today. Leslie Picker has been has had the joy of monitoring that <laughs> hearing and joins us now with the latest. I mean, just, you know, you're waiting. Bated well- breath.
12: <laughs> the candy that you got me to keep uh, my sugar and energy levels high certainly has is been it helping. working?
1: How many are left? It's
12: working. There are not many left, but I did share with my producer, just to be fair. Okay. <laughs> but uh, you, <laughs> to your point, this hearing is about to enter. It's fifth hour now. Uh, the Lawmakers currently on recess uh, should reconvene shortly. But so far, much of the questioning of the country's seven largest consumer-facing bank CEOs involved the state of the economy. Wells Fargo CEO Charlie Scharf addressed reports that the firm planned to retreat from its mortgage business.
13: We do operate within businesses that are susceptible to market conditions. Volumes go up and volumes go down. Uh, the changes that we've seen in the mortgage business um, are the most significant changes we've seen in the shortest amount of time, given the, uh, uh, the moving rates. Uh, and so we, like all other mortgage companies, have had to take a look at our own infrastructure and uh, ensure that it's sized properly.
12: And J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon gave his updated take on the state of the U.S. economy, saying we're, quote, paying, too, paying the price of too much fiscal monetary stimulus.
10: I think the sooner that the Federal Reserve gets the hand around inflation, uh, so we avoid stagflation. That is the worst outcome, is inflation with no growth and unemployment, and that hurts the most people and the most businesses, et cetera. Uh, and second is to make sure we have a secure energy policy so that oil prices don't skyrocket. Energy is precarious. We know if we see it at 150, it'll cause a global recession.
12: In his prepared testimony, Diamond said, quote, the continued upward trajectory of regulatory capital requirements on America's already fortified largest banks is itself becoming a significant economic risk because underrepresentative capital requirements erode banks' ability to meet customer needs. Mm. Brian,
1: I mean, the comments 150 on oil. Global mm-hmm. recession. Pretty. I mean, he, he doesn't mince words, Diamond.
12: No, he did earlier speak to kind of the, the chance of a soft landing. He said there is a small chance that we do have a soft landing, while also noting there's a chance that we have some sort of mild recession and a chance we have a more severe recession. He didn't put numbers on those probability weightings, but um, it does appear that at least kind of relative speaking, he puts the smaller okay. probability on that soft landing at this point in time.
1: Leslie Picker. Thank you. Save a couple of those sour patch kids for me. You better hurry. Good grief. (laughs) Leslie, thank you. All right, folks, that does it for us here on The Exchange. Power Lunch at CNBC picking up the coverage. The big Fed rate call, rate decision, and outlook next.
8: All right, welcome everybody to Power Lunch. I'm Tyler Matheson, along with Seema Modi. We are just minutes away from the release of the Fed decision on interest rates. The central bank expected now to deliver its third straight three-quarters of a percentage point hike. To fight inflation,
5: we are watching the markets very closely. Stocks ahead of the decision are losing steam. The Dow is currently up about 152 points. SP 500 rising 25. Nasdaq Composite is still holding on to a gain of 7 tenths of 1%. The bond market clearly in focus. The yield on the 10 year Treasury note touching. Four percent.
8: We got about four minutes until the news comes out. Meantime, let's uh, welcome David Kelly, Chief Global Strategist at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Katie Nixon, Chief Investment Officer at Northern Trust Wealth Management, and Jim Caron, Global Fixed Income Portfolio Manager at Morgan Stanley Investment Management. Got a lot of brain power here. David Kelly, I remember when we began this cycle. I forget whether it was April or May or whenever. You said well, something that has stuck in my head. That the typical problem with Fed policy is that they. Uh, these circumstances, is they start too late, they go too high, and they stay there too long. Is that still your fear?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I, the, the Fed, I think, will raise rates right 75 basis points today, But the problem is, I think in his comments, Chairman Powell is going to still sound very hawkish and really pave the way for another 75 basis point hike in November. And, and this path is too much. This economy is slowing down to a crawl. Inflation is going to roll over anyway, maybe not as fast as the Fed would like. Uh, but I think the, the Fed is in grave danger of tipping this economy into recession
13: by being more hawkish than they need to be right now.
8: Jim Caron, what do you say? You agree?
13: Well, I, oh, I, think, I think Dave brings up some really good points. The thing is, is that the Fed is behind the curve and that, you know, we, we all know that monetary policy works with a lag and we have to know. We have to try to figure out when they're going too far. But right now we see inflation pressures is really Topping, but but also broadening out. So I think they have a lot more work to do, and are very likely to sound hawkish and probably signal another seventy-five basis point move again at the next meeting.
5: Katie, the the rapid rise in the two-year note now above four percent. What does that tell you about how investors are positioned ahead of the decision?
9: SEMA investors are expecting seventy-five basis points, and I think investors are expecting the kind of scenario that's been outlined by the by the prior two guests. Um, the Fed's going to hike further than than we had thought and going to stay there for a little bit longer than we thought as well. So I think investors are positioning for that. But what you see in the yield curve is interesting, which is investors are also coming around to the fact that this is going to slow down the economy. So you've got this inversion. You've got this problem in the yield curve that's reflecting a lot of uncertainty about the economic outlook. Um, So we're going to have to deal with that next year.
8: Jim, I'm going to come back to you because David is worried that the Fed may go too far and stay there too long and really damage the economy. You seem to have a more nuanced view of that. I've got 45 seconds. Explain why you are less worried about the economy seemingly than than David is. Quickly.
13: Well, I I think that we're likely to have a mild recession. There's no question about that. It's just The idea, though, is that the labor market is as strong as it is. It's very hard to have a deep, protracted recession when the labor market is so strong. So it's not that the Fed won't hike rates too far and keep them there for too long. They probably will. It's just a question of how much of an impact does that have on the broader economy and how much of a recession most likely does that cause and how deep will that recession actually be. And I'm in the camp that it might be a little bit more on the mild side, even if we have one.
8: Right. Well, we are in a complicated time, both in terms of the economy, in terms of geopolitics and the rest. We've got about 10 seconds now until we can go to Steve Leisman for the news. And let's do that.
0: You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.